Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 39. Today, we're going to be covering an exciting topic, bookkeeping. (laughs) Okay, it's maybe not the most exciting topic, but it is one you need to understand as a growing business, especially around tax time. So we're going to walk through bookkeeping needs and what we learn as a business grows from a hobby all the way up to a small business with employees. Uh, But before we jump in, we do want to thank some members that joined the MFP patron tribe. It's actually one member this week, Katie Haro. Katie, thank you for joining. Uh, If you want to join the MFP patron squad, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and get some great rewards over there as well as the after show where we answer Uh, your questions and give you some special insights. Actually, today we're going to be giving some special insights on some late-breaking Instagram stuff that we'll be sharing later on in the main show, but our patrons get a first crack at it. John, what is up, brother? Not much, dude. I am in full conference table life domination mode over here. I guess when you're (laughs) building something that's 15 feet long and four feet wide, um, it tends to take over all aspects of everything you're doing. So, I've been a little slow on the content production side of things, but uh, but it's exciting. We're in the final stages here. Deliver that bad boy. Uh, the Friday before this comes out, it should be going in. So uh, everyone should actually be seeing some content based around that. Um, and I'm working on some smaller content pieces that'll be coming out too. A uh, little sharpening video. I'm going to be doing a video on um, how to make some money with your scrap wood. And then I got a little piece coming out with Post-It, which is exciting. Um, so couple things in the docket there uh, that we're wrapping up and getting rolling into. And I'm also pumped because because uh, you and I will be in New York City um, and then in two weeks or so uh, yes. for, for a little event with Home Depot. So, yeah. so all good New stuff. New York City. Get a rope. It's yeah. Pace Picante. That's like my favorite commercial ever. It's like <laughs> circa 1991, you know, but whatever. Yeah, it was three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm, I am uh, – I'm excited to see that conference table all come together. That uh, what did you cut that skyline? Because this is the one with the Pittsburgh skyline as the base, right? Correct. Yeah, I cut it with. I actually drove out to Lincoln and cut it on one of their torchmate tables. Um, oh yes, which is love the which was awesome. Um, and if you guys follow along, you saw some some content based around that. Um, those things are just incredible. I know you just had some logoing done. Um, yeah, for yourself while we were there a couple of weeks ago. Just an incredible piece of machinery and. Oh yeah, it, yeah those, I, things, are, those yeah. things are fantastic. Love it, um, and I can't wait to get up there to to New York City for the Home Depot event. I went last year uh, for their prospective event, where they're basically uh, highlighting new tools from all the different manufacturers that are in Home Depot. So that should be uh, really fun and uh, cool to see the new products out. But uh, this week, man, I am just basking in the release of the epoxy waterfall table. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, and I know uh, we so. We're trying something new with this, and John and I have been, uh, as we talk about social media and launch, is that like I just set up like a whole launch strategy, and you know I launched it in just like a million places and called in all my favors for folks to help me out. 
Uh, and, and it went really, really well. And uh, it's been great to watch it. And one of the reasons it went so well was Reddit. And I know we talk about how Reddit is just so crazy and we don't, we hadn't figured it out, but this is like one of those times. It just, it just absolutely took off on Reddit. So it was really interesting to see. Um, and I've already gotten a ton of messages about like, what did you do? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> you hit the old Johnny Brook. Johnny does yeah, really, exactly. really well over there on Reddit. We notice a lot. And and yeah, man, that's Reddit's, Reddit's, <laughs> Reddit's absurd. Like it's great. It's terrible. It's demoralizing. Yeah, it's, it, it lifts you up. Like it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. That's it is. For sure. It is. But yeah, I know a lot of people were asking about Reddit. So my one tip for Reddit uh, the only thing is like, it's, it's all about just like YouTube, the title and the thumbnail. Yeah. So I think I really killed the thumbnail on this one and that's why it's doing so well. So we'll see how that, how that goes. But anyway, um, as this one's coming out, I'm going flipping back, like I talked about last week and, uh, I should be launching, have just launched a, uh, folding drying rack for the, for our small laundry room. So, uh, there's another thing I'm, I'm finishing up, uh, actually with, with Maytag and the last piece there. So it's kind of cool to have a uh, nice little space in our laundry room to fold clothes and not have one of those like big, you know, tarantula looking contraptions to hold the clothes everywhere. So <laughs> it's clean the space up. Yeah. Those things are you know, hilarious. Oh God. They, like every single one breaks too, you know, it's yeah. like those ones, the collapsible ones and they always break. And so this one's going to be on the wall. Uh, so hopefully that'll clean things up a bit in there. Uh, but anyway, getting on to the show topic, we wanted to uh, talk with tax season coming up. I've actually, uh, so what, we're sitting here on the, the 27th of March. Um, I have not even begun to do my taxes yet. Uh, and of course, I do mine my own by myself still, which we'll talk about kind of the pros and the cons <laughs> through the bookkeeping, uh, which I need to offload that, but I've not done it yet because I don't have the things in place to do it. Um, but yeah, so getting into bookkeeping uh, around tax season is super important, but it's the thing is, is, I think what happens with a lot of people is like, this is when they think about it, right? They're mm-hmm. like, oh, it's tax season. I got in this like, it's already too late. I mean, like yep. if you didn't do what you needed to do last year, you're, you're hosed. And so this is for all you folks in 2018 who you've been through, we're already three months through the year and you have not done a thing. We're going to, we're going to try to help get you on board. I'm going to try to help get myself on board with um, some good processes and we'll kind of walk through what that looks like, depending upon where you're at. Cause we know we have people all over the spectrum who listen to the show. So, um, John, why don't you start us off like about, you know, what are, what does a business need in its infancy? And then we'll kind of build on that and keep growing until we get to somebody like, you know, in your situation where you have a small business with employees. So in its infancy, um, we'll consider that like the hobbyist stage of, um, of what we're doing here as makers and woodworkers and whatever you want to call it. And, um, that seems to be where we're most, I say with the bulk of our audience is a lot of people just like to do things um, for fun, you know, enjoy the craft and the trade, and they want to just make sure that they're taking care of themselves. Um, but bookkeeping, bookkeeping is still important. Um, and, and what you can run into is the clutter of trying to separate it after the fact, aka exactly what you just said, um, when it comes to filing season, um, if you don't, you know, put the processes in place to, to track it throughout the year. Um, and you know, by not separating your books, what you're basically doing is just, um, spending money and making money via whatever your own personal 
income is or your savings or checking account or whatever it might be. Um, but that's all lumped together with like your grocery bill and your, you know, car payment and your mortgage. And then your like, you know, your, your kids happy meals and whatever it might be. Um, you can obviously see in, in the simplest form, how difficult it could be to track your business in that sense. Um, especially when it comes down to specific expenses per projects. Um, for most people, uh, in the hobbyist situation and we've, and we've all been there and we all mostly kind of still are there is, uh, is you definitely want to create a process in which you can track at a minimum, uh, project expenses and whether that's a pen and paper or a spreadsheet or something extremely simple, you know, that is quote unquote bookkeeping in a simple form. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, being a hobbyist woodworker or maker, even if you're not selling your stuff. Um, and, and that's, what's important is because, if you're not selling your things there, you're not going to have that income stream. Therefore, you're probably not going to pay income tax, but you're going to have all of this stuff going into your hobby, quote unquote. And if you're not tracking how much money you're spending on it, it could become a huge, <laughs> a massive right. uh, a money draw from you know things that you might be wanting to save towards in the future or towards expenses that need to go towards living, etc. So um, you definitely want to be considering bookkeeping in the hobbyist stage, specifically in my uh, my opinion for the uh for the job expense purposes at, at a minimum um because you don't want to you don't want that carrying over and becoming a larger portion of your your life expenses because that could be really bad for your hobby especially if there's a right. significant other in the uh in, <laughs> yeah. in the picture so and, and part of that so and, and john you didn't really go through this stage right so i was there because at one point i've talked about it in the past um i was kind of having to go at trying to sell some sell products and do you know, small goods and uh, to pay for the hobby and things like that. So uh, this is also a good time, I think, for us to stop and say uh, neither John nor I are certified, you know, tax accountants or anything like that. So, you know, whatever we're going to tell you is just our experience and information. Um, make sure you are doing your own research on any of this stuff, because uh, we will be talking a little bit about taxation and things that that we think, uh, you know, is applicable to our situations and what we've learned, but it might be different in your state or wherever. So just to kind of level set that. Uh, but one of the main things about a hobby um, is that, like you said, John, is that, you know, what I always loved about woodworking is that it was a hobby that could pay for itself. So you mm -hmm. could make things and then sell things. Uh, but like you said, John, when you're when you're doing that, it's it's good to know um you know, you want to be able to know like, okay, how much did I, like, what did I really buy to go into this project? Like how much were my wood costs? And as a hobbyist, you know, you, maybe you're not tracking like total, uh, like shop expenses. Like you're not going to break down like the amount for screws and, you know, like kind of overhead general stuff finishes where you might use it across four or five projects. But like, what are those main items that are going into it? And then also just having a rough idea of how much time, but really time's not, doesn't really matter because it's a hobby. It's not your business. Uh, so more, you're just saying like, how much did I put out of pocket in hardware specifically for the project, material specifically for the project in the end, kind of know how much you had into it. Uh, and if you're selling that project, you can still sell it as a hobbyist. So one of the interesting things about being a hobbyist, and there is IRS code about this, so you can do research and look at it. Um, but from my understanding is uh, you can actually write off your expenses as a hobbyist as well, but only up to the income. So you could basically, like if you're selling things, but you're also buying, you know, you're spending money and you're selling it to say your your cousin or your sister or whatever, and you're just selling it to them for the cost, is that for whatever money you put into it, 
that income can offset it. So you can basically look at it and, and offset up to the income level. Now you can't like run it as a loss and then like have that as a deduction off your tax bill. So that's definitely something you cannot do as a hobbyist. Like you're not going to get any tax benefit as being a hobbyist. You're just going to be able to offset some of the income coming in. Right. So that's, so don't think like, Oh, I'm going to buy these tools and stuff and use that as a write-off. Like you're, that's not what's going to happen. Hmm. Like at best, you're going to be flat. Um, but you want to start tracking that stuff as you start selling more. And uh, as I was a hobbyist, I was using, you know, spreadsheets, as you guys <laughs> probably know. Uh, so you can do pen and paper just but even a simple Excel sheet. How much how much lumber did I buy? Uh, and then any specialty supplies, if I had hinges or feet or whatever that went into it. And, that, and that's where I would start at. Um, I wouldn't necessarily get into QuickBooks or anything like that. I would just start super simple and just track where you're at. Uh, and then if you think you're going to start growing bigger, then maybe start tracking your time too, and start looking at it that way. Because that's, you know, I think that's the next step, right? John is that, is that most hobbyists don't track their labor and there's not a need to. Yeah, there really isn't a need to, um, because you're just picking up an hour here. You're picking up 30 minutes there. You're popping in the shop whenever you get a second. A hobbyist is typically going to be the person that's in their home as well. Um, and this is where lines can start to become very gray when you start selling. Um, so, you know, one thing I will advise is that regardless of what stage you're at, is that get the advice of a certified accountant, like, or like find someone that you can talk to who understands accounting in a deeper sense than myself and Brad. Um, you know, as we've said already, we're not experts, but, um, to, to learn more about how to properly run a hobbyist style business, you're definitely going to want to get professional, um, advice. And I think where the things start to become gray are, you know, <clears throat> the things as a hobbyist that, that become factors in, you know, or, or somewhat issues with your bookkeeping are, you know, uh, where are you working out of? Are you working out of your home? Because if you file as your own business, you know, that can become a partial deduction towards, um, you know, that being an income stream for your, for, for, for your business. And then, um, are, are you commuting to, you know, pick things up and deliver them if you're selling items and, and the mileage and, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot oh, of stuff yeah. that starts there's to go so into it. In so you want to start keeping track of all of this because the minute you want to go to a side hustle, you don't want that burden of having all of this to get done on top of, you know, now you have two orders a week or whatever to get out the door. Oh, but I got to keep track of my bookkeeping, um, in order, you know, to make sure that my, my stuff's crystal clear. So, um, we advise as a hobbyist to start keeping track of things because if it ever progresses, you already got that process set up and you just add some line items and you continue to grow the process. Um, I guess the next step uh, after the hobbyist phase is going to be in that side hustle phase. That's going to be in where you're getting a little more serious about it. Um, you're starting to see a lot more income and outgoing um, expenses and, uh, and, and I guess revenue um, <clears throat> based on your quote unquote hobby. Um, and things start to get kind of cloudy, right, Brad? I mean, I think you're in this stage right now yeah. where you're just trying to figure out the process from self-employment and, uh, you know, do I want to take that next step to like a legitimate small business? Exactly. And there are, and again, you can guys can go out there and, and search for it, but there is, um, a number too. And I think it's, uh, I, I, I'm not going to get into exactly what it is, but there, it's it's either a percentage of your gross income, a uh, very small percentage of your gross income, or uh, a number. Like I, I've heard anywhere in between four to seven thousand uh, dollars. So like as you start making, you know, if you're selling a few hundred dollars, 
worth of cutting boards throughout the year. Like, don't even worry about it. Uh, you know, you're likely not going to have to worry about that. But if you're if you're going in and now you're starting to get, you know, five thousand, ten thousand dollars worth of sales, you know, which you could pretty easily do, right? You sell a few coffee tables. Um, and this is also so when you're talking about uh, we're talking about not just sales, but also but income. So when we're talking about, you know, top line sales minus your expenses. Right. So if you're making if you're making, say, five thousand uh, dollars, then you know, you're you're going to definitely be getting into that area where it's like, OK, I got to do something with this. This is I'm going to have to uh, I mean, you're probably well already into it is that you have to account for it properly. And now you're talking about filing a Schedule C. Right. So that is a Schedule C is just, a, a you know, an other income type thing. So it's something that you don't get um, a W-2 as a W-2 or W-4. I always get those mixed up. But whatever. You don't get that uh, or, or 1099. So you don't you're not getting a tax document from somebody that you're working for, that you've done work for, or that you were employed by. And this is because there's no records. Right. That's the whole thing about IRS and taxation is that like you have you are supplying the records. Mm hmm. When you work for somebody, they give it to you and they say, here's what you made and we've documented everything. When you work for yourself, <laughs> nobody at the end of the year is sending you that document to say, here's what you need to give to the IRS. It's, it, that, that's the whole impetus of this entire thing is that you own it. It's not that easy anymore. And so as you get into this and you're selling, now you got to start thinking about that. So like you said, John, going from that, that side, getting into the side hustle, the number one most important thing that I would say that people would do uh, is to get a separate bank account. Yes. Like, because that just, like, just, you want to completely separate the income stream because it makes it so much easier. And uh, you can, like, you don't have to set up a bit, like, you don't even, doesn't have to be a business account. You just go in, go into your bank and just say, hey, I want to open another checking account. And almost every bank can do that. And you can even get a separate uh, debit card for that account. And then you just run everything through that account. Anytime you go to the lumber store, anytime you go to Home Depot, anytime that you get a, a check for payment, it all goes through that account. And then it is just so open and shut because you don't have to worry about going in and looking at it like, oh, man, I went to Home Depot on the 32nd, the 32nd, that'd be weird, huh? <laughs> on the 31st of July. <laughs> and uh, was that when I bought mulch or was that when I bought all that lumber for that project? You know, like that's where you get mixed up. That's where it jams you up is when you have and then you've lost the receipt. And so you have no idea. And I found myself in that bucket a lot, uh, especially with Home Depot, because I was constantly going for the house uh, and then constantly going for the woodworking. And I couldn't I couldn't separate them. And so I was like, uh, I don't know, you know, and so I'd guess sometimes and I would just look at other things around it. But if you have your own bank account, then it it doesn't matter then it's it's super clear. Yeah, and it keeps uh it keeps that um mistake opportunity from happening where you do use, you know, your personal money to buy something for the business and then you're like, "Oh my goodness, how am I going to attract this?" and um where it really gets cloudy in in that aspect too is if you're using a bookkeeping system. Um and that's going to kind of be the next suggestion in in my uh experience is that once you set up that separate bank account, even if you don't have an LLC or an S corp or a business set up yet, you can still use a bookkeeping system in order to keep things nice and clear for yourself. So, um there's some sweet tools out there right now. I know um I've been using QuickBooks for about ugh, five years now. Um, and that's QuickBooks Online, which is like a cloud-based service. I know they have their self-employed option as well. And we also use QuickBooks for um, for MFP. 
Um, so the reason being is that this makes a lot of the guessing of where your expenses are going towards, or, you know, was this transaction for business or personal, it makes it crystal clear. Um, and the tools are pretty cool now too. I know the self-employed tool is literally like Tinder for your business, swipe right for business, swipe left for personal, you know, like, and, um, yes, <clears throat> it's interesting. So you could, right. Cause you could even do that with a mixed account, like without breaking out the accounts, you they could. make it. That is cool because I've just gotten on QuickBooks self-employed. I'll talk about my convoluted method here in a minute. But um, <laughs> right. So we're doing QuickBooks. So what are the two? We have QuickBooks, which I think it's is it Quick Start, the one that we're using for MFP? It's there's well, like there's multiple two tiers. separate ones. So you right, got it's the lowest tier of QuickBooks online. Yes. And then QuickBooks self-employed is an entirely different thing, mm -hmm. which it has its own mobile app and everything. But it's also online. Correct. So they're both based in the cloud. Therefore, your data is stored somewhere that's not hard quote unquote for your own like if your house burns down you don't lose all your bookkeeping which used to be an issue back in the day but um on top of that uh there's a lot of options now available online so with quickbooks online you have multiple tiers um like brad said we're in the lowest tier because we're not using a lot of the functions we don't have you know hundreds of customers we're not invoicing a ton we don't have a bunch of vendors and a bunch of subcontractors and employees so we don't need all of the utility of quickbooks online but what's great is if we do we just upgrade on our tier and boom that's all there and that's what my personal business actually uses is the second i think I believe it's like two tiers up from what we use for mfp and i actually manage all of my business in it but what's great is that having everything centralized for your business in a bookkeeping software um gives you a lot of benefit when it comes to that jump into the tech quote-unquote legitimate small business world um you're able to look at a lot of the functionality of a business that you don't really see as well as exporting for um like your taxation purposes, sales tax is another thing that you need to start considering in the side hustle aspect. Um, <clears throat> and you're able to track all of this on a piece of software. Um, so, you know, getting into that just briefly, uh, sales tax is 100% something you need to be considering um, in your side hustle business. In the state of Pennsylvania, uh, my laws are going to be a little bit different than throughout the country. But um, from the beginning, I've always made sure that I was paying uh, proper sales tax and getting paid on proper sales tax from my clients. Uh, that way I didn't get tagged with this massive bill down the line. Um, and I know in Pennsylvania, each county is a different sales tax, uh, whether, and then the two bordering large counties where I operate in are, you know, 7% and 6% sales tax in each. Now, there's a this this gets like really deep, but there's a lot of items that are taxable and a lot of items that aren't. And getting this stuff clear, it's just much easier to do in a bookkeeping yeah. system. When I sell a specific product, I have that product inventoried in a certain asset or excuse me, a certain product classification in my books, whether and then that already knows if it's um, a tax sales taxable or if it isn't. And little things like that speed up your process a ton when it comes to. Um, especially when it comes to invoicing and working with other, uh, and working with other businesses, because they're going to be invoicing you if you're doing labor for them and labor is not taxable, but if you're transferring hard goods to them, you know, there is tax. And so you could obviously see how things can get cloudy. Yeah, there. So it's, it's, there's, and <laughs> that, that's a whole nother thing that, um, you know, again, you want to get an expert's opinion on or, or understand how to do it. But, 
Um, but before we move on, sure I just want to say, like, if you can simplify that from this stage, I'll, it helps you so much down the line. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's exactly where I was going is that like in the side hustle, uh, if you are selling products locally and those things like this is when you're going to want to um, get a business license. Right. Because a business license in your local city or county or however it's structured where you live, um, that's that's where it starts tying into the sales tax and things like that. Uh, and that's like you are theoretically required to do that. I mean, that, that's how they kind of track it and understand what you're doing. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting for me because uh, most of my sales are outside of the state. And so you can, you know, like, the again, all the laws about collecting sales tax and is the, um, you know, is, is it on you to collect sales tax or not? Um, if you are in court, if you have a business in your state and you sell in your state, you're almost always required unless you are selling for resale and they have a whole exemption thing. You're almost always required to gather sales tax um, out of state. It's a little different, but you know, it gets super complicated really fast. And so like at this stage in the side hustle, that's when you need to start thinking about this. Like you need to go and there's actually some really good uh, information out there. If you go to your state's uh, for all of our U.S. folks, if you and, and again, so for international, John and I have no clue, no like, clue, <laughs> no clue whatsoever. Zero. So we're just going to talk about I know we do have a lot of international listeners. Uh, we're talking about United States right now. Um, if you go to your state's small business page, so small business association page or, or whatever it is, um, they will have a ton of information about how to get started as a small business. What do you need to do? Um, and then again, in your specific county or city there will also be information about uh, what business licenses you need and those type things. So that's you need to start doing that now because that's going to affect how you keep your books and come tax day, uh, yeah, what you're going to have and what you're going to need. Like I, I've never really done much with sales tax because I don't sell. I sell digitally and I don't sell in the state, so I don't have to gather tax on on most of the stuff I do and most of the people I provide services for are outside the state, and so I'm not. You know, I'm not charging sales tax on that. Obviously, that's just like a, a 1099 type thing. Um, so, yeah. So and then uh, just back to the side hustle. So what I did for the longest time and up until like literally just recently is uh, I just used a spreadsheet because like that was just what I did. It just seemed easy to me as I would come home uh, and I every week or so I would grab my receipts and I would just enter them into a spreadsheet like I, and, and not like super detailed. I would just say date, uh, you know, who the person was that I got, that I spent money at, uh, what the vendor was. Um, so I'd say, like I said, July 31st, Home Depot, $192.27 for lumber. Like I wouldn't line item out each thing. Uh, but a little hint that I'll give you guys is that uh, what you should do is go back and look at a tax form. Because what happens is at the end of the year, uh, and this is if you're doing it yourself, right? Because this is what your bookkeeper will do, or this is what your accountant will do. There are, uh, I don't know how many there are, John, but maybe a dozen or so. There's only about a dozen or so um, tax categories. And so those will be things like supplies, advertising, repair and maintenance. Like there are specific ones in that every single expense that you have is going to get bucketed into one of those categories. Expe you mean, he means expense categories. Yes, expense categories. Uh, so if so, what I did is I just made a drop down in my in my uh, little spreadsheet. And so anytime I did that, I just go ahead and categorize it. And at the end of the year, I just rolled it all up and said, OK, sum up all of the supplies, sum up all the repair and maintenance, you know, sum up those things. 
uh, and, and it makes it easier. But that's exactly what's going to happen is that when you take your box of receipts to your accountant that I know a lot of people do, they just go, here you go. Have fun with that. Um, that's what they do. They go in and they'll categorize that for you. Uh, so if you're going to do it yourself, you need to be thinking about that beforehand. And uh, again, anything you can do in the moment, uh, because always like looking back when you're sitting there on April 13th, trying to figure out what you did January 2nd, the year before, you're clueless, man. Clueless. You're, you're just guessing. And, you know, you can get by, uh, but it's so much easier if you go ahead and, and do it in the moment. So that's what I used to do. I've gone to now this QuickBook Self-Employed, which does that exactly for you. And you can do it online. You can actually take a picture, which I really, this is pretty cool. You can take a picture on your cell phone of the receipt and it actually like will process everything for you. And then you basically just match it versus the expense that comes through in your bank account, which I really love that feature, which unfortunately is not available in the QuickBooks online. Um, so we're going to talk about QuickBooks a lot because that's what John and I are using. Uh, and we do also have, so that's something that we're using. We have links down below. They are an affiliate of ours. If you're interested, uh, I don't know what the deal is, but we can, we can, uh, we'll put it in there. I think it's like half off or something for the first three months. We will have a link down there and QuickBooks online, uh, for self-employed QuickBooks self-employed is only like 10 bucks a month. So it's really cheap in the grand scheme of things. And then um, the QuickBooks Online, I think, starts at 15 bucks a month and then goes up from there. So uh, but they they make things really a lot easier and self-employed actually uh, will help you track mileage, too, which is something right that you're going to start needing to take into account as a side hustle as well. Right, John? Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> there's a lot of items that you need to start taking care of and tra keeping track of um, for general accounting purposes. And those are just a few of them. I think what's awesome about online tools like QuickBooks is that um, they lay those out for you. Like you may not have known that you needed to keep track of your mileage when you're driving to and from a client or to pick up materials or not before. Um, but now that it's laid out for you in the uh, in the accounting software, you know, that's a that's an easy way for you to say, hey, these are things I need to think about in the future. So um, my next advice is going to be moving into the small business side after side hustle um, is definitely consider going at minimum QuickBooks self-employed or a self-employed type accounting software or into that next stage, um, which would be like QuickBooks online. You can actually still buy um, the physical box of the DVD of QuickBooks and have the desktop version. Um, it's got a lot of, oh, yeah. I think if you do that, I think you get a uh, hundred free hours of AOL too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's uh, you, there's a lot of businesses still use that and there's a ton of accounting softwares out there. QuickBooks has just been my go-to for the whole time I've been in business. And um, I know my accounting firm, uh, knows how to use it and they help me out a lot with it there too. So, uh, definitely check out the links if you're interested or you're in that stage. Um, because I, I mean, I'm telling you when it comes to end of the year reporting, when it comes to invoicing, when it comes to managing your expenses, when it comes to cost analysis on your projects, like all of this stuff can be handled in a bookkeeping software and man, does it make your life nice and easy. Um, and, and takes that little bit of a burden as someone who's self-employed off of your shoulders and that way, when you go to your accountant, you're not paying them a ton of time either. You know, if you're going to use an accountant, they get they they bill you on um, a lot of them will bill you on the time it takes to go through your books as right. well as the income that you make. Um, and and <laughs> if you have everything already set up for them, you just set, generate your reports, send them over, and 
you know, boom, boom. Um, exactly. So and and that's where I was. And that's exactly where I was, John. And so what happens is that um, just what John said, like you're, you're paying them to sort through your mess. Like somebody's got to deal with the mess and either you're going to pay them to do it or you're going to do it yourself. And that's where I, you know, as like trying to squeeze every last nickel out of what I was doing as a side hustler, I did it myself because I knew at the end. So like if you're already there, if at the end of the year you've already got everything categorized, doing a schedule C becomes very, very easy. And so at that point, it's like you don't even have to pay anybody for is what my thought process was, because all I would be doing would be literally giving it to them and saying, hey, enter all these numbers, which I've already put together. Um, now, there's a whole thing about, you know, when they prepare it, that they you know have some liability and and stuff for any errors and omissions or whatever. And again, I don't know what all that is, but. Um, you know, so there's something there, but for me, I have never, I paid somebody to do my taxes one time. They messed them up. They gave them back to me. I came back and said, Hey, you missed this. <laughs> and like, I, you know, so that was me being me. Uh, and, and now I've been gun shy ever since. Uh, so if you deal with your own mess, you're going to save some money. If you don't want to deal with it, like, right. I mean, you're probably not listening to this at this point. You've probably already tuned out. Uh, but you can just, yeah, shove the box of receipts, which again, I know a lot of my friends do. I know a lot of of bloggers and content creators who just give the box of receipts to the the gal or the guy and say, here, file this. And then, you know, they'll, they'll ask them a few questions down the road. Like, what the heck was this? Like it had mustard on it. I couldn't read it. I don't know. Like, you know, you, you're going to you're going to uh, be much more successful uh, if you want to do it yourself by tracking and, and doing things on point, whether, uh, you know, point of use, whether you're using a spreadsheet or an online service either way. So like going from the side hustle then, John, right? Because this is where I've just kind of gone from the, so, the side hustle to the small business. Um, you know, what do you think is that biggest transition from like when when it's time to go to the next stage? So this is going to be the point where you're like, okay, I'm not getting the benefits of being a side hustle, um, which are, you know, once you get into a certain size or scale of uh, income and assets, you're going to start being able to get benefits as a small business for those things. And, and this is going to be where you want to incorporate or uh, set yourself up properly with the state and and, and government um, in order to be filed as its own entity. Um, so that'd be an LLC or an S corp for most of you or for most of us. Um, and, and I did this from the get go because I wanted it to be squeaky clean and crystal clear on what I was doing. I was also in another business um, with my uh, my old teammate of mine and I didn't want any uh, issues when it came to filing um, as well as, you know, my accountant happens to be my best friend and um, <clears throat> he was handling my books when I was playing in the NFL, which are extremely ridiculous. You have to file in every state you play in. You get a 1099 from every state. It's an incredible amount of work. Um, so I already had him working on my taxes. We moved into this next stage. He advised that I set up an LLC and even if I'm not filing a return, at least I have it. Um, that way, if things pick up, I'm running the business properly um, and, and through the right channel. So once you hit like a point where you're feeling like, OK, I'm buying a lot of materials, I'm holding a lot of inventory. I have a bunch of tools that I've purchased. Um, you know, I'm paying rent on a separate space. Like if you're paying rent, you definitely want to have an LLC and be setting yourself up properly because that's going to be a, a large deduction on your um, on your tax uh, excuse me, on your on your tax filing uh, because you do pay it every single month. Um, if you're running out of your home, it, you could write off parts of it. So this is where you're going to start getting into that deductions and write-off stage. 
Yeah. And and let me jump in real quick because like that is a super sticky that can be a super sticky topic. Um, I, I just remember there is a an excellent, excellent podcast episode um from um Woodshop 101, uh, where Jeremy and Drew had an interview uh with Brian McCauley. And Brian McCauley, um, who used to be with the Dusty Life uh podcast, they uh he used to work for the IRS. Like he was like legit an auditor for the IRS. And so he, you know, and this was, I think, right after he had quit with them. And he like spills the beans on like, okay, here's all the stuff you need to do uh, and the stuff that you shouldn't do. We'll have a link in the show notes to that podcast. It's a really, really good podcast. I would highly recommend you guys to go listen to that because Brian um, is an expert on that, obviously, because of his, his old job. And I'm sure things change, but, you know, there's still some really good things in there. And one of the things he talked about was uh, that write-off. Like if you are a side, if you are writing off any portion of your home, like there's some very, very specific things you need to do. Um, and it has to be like 100% use. I mean, there's all these things. And that is a huge red flag. So th- I think that's one of the mistakes that people make the biggest um, going from a side hustle while they're still in the side hustle is that they try to write off too much. Yeah. And what's going to happen is you're going to get yourself audited because like when, when you write off a part of your home and it's not as a business, like John's saying, so if you're a Schedule C and then you're, you're opting for a write-off on your home for square footage or whatever, um, that is a red flag. That is an indicator for an audit. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get audited every year, but that raises your chances of getting audited drastically. Uh, so like John said, like, you don't have to do it. You can still write off rent as a side hustle on a Schedule C, but... Uh, you know, you're going to be more susceptible versus if it's a business and you're running that through there. So I just want to jump in there because uh, I just remember that episode uh, that that Brian did with those guys and it was really good. And, um, you know, I would highly recommend, again, listening to that. Uh, but, yeah, making it if once you're incorporated, it just becomes like John said, squeaky clean. It's just like it's you know, that's not a red flag. Like that's an expectation that you have rent that you're doing. Uh, and I don't even like I don't. So uh, even as I incorporate, like if you're incorporated and working out of your house, that's still actually a red flag. Like you, I mean, there's just, they just make it really, really hard. Uh, Like if you do anything, like 1% personal uh, of things that are not directly business related out of a portion of your house, then you can't write it off to my understanding. Like that's just a really hard one to do. So, you know, be forewarned and talk to your tax accountant about that yeah and and that's something that you definitely want to hire a professional for i mean in this stage if you're going to become uh, a legitimate incorporated small business i highly advise looking into a professional accounting service um, and at least consulting with them before you start to make decisions um other things you're going to be looking at as far as write-offs go and when when we say write-off you know that's just a general kind of nonchalant term used just write it off jerry yeah that's a that's a deduction (laughs) off of your tax it's an expense um deduction off of your 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 i guess your gross revenue your income your your gross versus your net now and that's also so what uh another thing that people get caught up in is um trying to write off machinery yes trying to expense machinery which is a big no-no because a machinery is not a piece of machinery is not an expense; it is an asset. And this, so is, there's a whole yes. other thing that you you want to you like you can if you go buy a three thousand dollars saw stop, do not put a three thousand dollars expense right. Like oh, expense, like that is not an expense. 
because that has value and that's an asset and you have to depreciate it. And there's a whole other thing, but there's this whole advantage, you know, like you can do the same thing. You can actually get the value for that as a write-off, but that is a deduction. That is a write-down on an asset and you need to understand what you're doing. Don't just willy-nilly, like everything is not an expense. No. So typically, I don't know what the cutoff point is, but I think it's around a thousand bucks. I think 700 to a thousand, or actually I think it's even as low as 200. I mean, there you can't expense everything. Just know that. And if you're if it's anything that is something you're going to be using ongoing, an expense is typically something that's consumable. It goes into a project and it goes with the project, right? Yeah. So it's not something that you use ongoing, ongoing, like uh, even like software, software, computers, cell phones, machinery, all those things are assets. And so you need to understand that those are not treated the same way as finish, lumber, paint, you know, any of those things like that. Those are two completely different things. Yes. And it gets very cloudy. I mean, like, so (laughs) as far as asset classification and expenses, you can get the expense value of assets um, as a deduction on your books in multiple ways. And whether that be a lump sum initially at the time of purchase, but then that's depreciated over time and goes into your balance sheet for your business. And like, like you can, right. even from the conversation here, you can hear how intense this can become as a process. <laughs> so like, this is why you want to be incorporated. And this is why you want to be using a bookkeeping service. And this is why you want to be handling it with a professional. But I mean, as far as so things you want to be considering is like, if you're buying new machinery, you definitely want to be incorporated. That way you can get the deduction on your taxes for the um, machines you're purchasing. You do get um, to write those off. You're just not a one and done type of expense right. write off. It is you depreciated carry over that time. on your books. Exactly. And it's not actually, there is a way, there's actually a way to do that because I've done it the past several years um, that it's like an accelerated yes. asset write down and you can take the entire value. But what happens is so like all the machinery, machinery I've bought recently, like ever since I, I you know started running it under the business uh, has zero value. So what that means is I've written them off and the value, uh, on my books, like John is saying is zero, which is fine. But what happens is if I ever sell those, then I've got to reclassify the value. So if I sell, if I sell my table saw for 1500 bucks, now that's income. Yeah. You gotta pay the income tax. You gotta pay the the income. So I've told the IRS, this is worth $0, but then somebody just paid me $1,500 for it versus if I never did anything, and if I never classified it and took a write-off for it and I bought it for $3,000 and then sold it for $1,500, You're then so all of a sudden I've lost $1,500, yeah. right? So it's, it's a whole, like, yeah, dude, it's super complicated, but you can. I mean, there are ways to get around it. So um, don't get overwhelmed by it. Just get educated on it because like John said, you can depreciate it over time. You can pull it forward and depreciate it all at once. You know, there, there's lots of different things and lots of different ways you can do it. And you just need to find out what's best for your situation. Uh, you know, what what this is more turning into is kind of the, the lookouts and the watchouts and make sure you're thinking about these things. Yeah. So the next lookout opportunity that I would suggest as a incorporated small business um, would be uh, the benefits of having separate bank accounts, um, one and then two uh, credit cards. So. A lot of business, like massive businesses, benefit a 
ton from credit cards. And when you have like my, my business itself has thousands and thousands of dollars of expenses a month based on raw materials and all kinds of stuff that goes into each month. You know, I use a credit card and pay that off because of the structure of my business monthly. And I get all the benefits of those points. And it's essentially just free perks. Um, if you're someone that is capable of, having a, you know, $20,000 limit on a card and not spending $20,000 and until you have the money to pay it. So uh, that that's a massive benefit for a business. And like, I will straight up say that I haven't paid for a flight for anywhere in two and a half years because of my business's um, expenses on the year, giving me points towards credit cards. Um, And and I think that's a great opportunity. It is something you want to tread lightly with if you're not personally capable of managing cards, um, as well as something that you want to not probably get into if you're managing a ton of debt. Um, me personally, right. I, I don't have it. I literally have no debt um, personally, <laughs> except for the home that I purchased last year. Um, my vehicle is uh, a debt to the business. It's a it's a it's an asset um, to the company as well as um, that's it. I don't have student loans. I don't have I don't have really yeah that's it. So um, for me, managing credit cards is simple because I don't have a ton of expenses going out for my personal life. Um, so I'm able to get, you know, the benefits of those, but that's something you can't do. Like I can't get a credit card in my personal name and use it for business. Um, if it's, uh, not incorporated, like you have to have a tax EIN and you have to have, um, a specific background check and they actually like to see bookkeeping, um, for at least, you know, a year or two, um, before they'll approve you for a line of for a credit line on a card. Um, so, you know, and, and there's also other benefits there too. Uh, in a pinch, you know, if you have a project that is say $20,000 and you need to buy $10,000 in materials and you know, you'll be done by the end of the month, but you don't have 10 grand on hand, you know, you can't put that on the card until you're paid the balance on, uh, on this specific job and or you're able to pay it off immediately. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you can use things in that sense. Along the, uh, the, it's it's very cloudy, and I'm not going to sit here and advocate for getting into a ton of debt in any way. Um, but for credit card purposes, uh, you know that's another thing. But on top of credit cards, you're also able now to procure a lot, either a line of credit or um, business small business loans from from banks specifically, um, which is another massively valuable um, aspect of being an incorporated small business. Having that little bit of a buffer, having a line of credit is huge. If, like I said, if you have a job in which you need to get something done, um, and you're, you know, booked up with five other things at the time, and you know that a 20 inch planer is going to make things quicker. Like I've been through this. I jumped into my line of credit. I purchased a eight inch and eight inch joiner and a 20 inch planer, and I was able to finish four four jobs in the time it would take me to do one. Uh, before I had those because of that time save. And then I was able to get that money and boom, pay that off. Uh, and having that little bit of buffer is great, but you can't do that if you're not an incorporated small business. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, from what you've heard on the podcast, you guys know that John and I are, are big fans of, of not running debt, not and having yes. debt. And so I'm, I'm personally debt free. John is debt free. Uh, but, you know, having debt as a small business I still don't believe in that, honestly, myself, uh, but I think that there is a time and a place, and obviously, you know, that is 
That is probably the norm. That is absolutely the norm yeah. for a small business. Uh, and when you get started, and there's there's whole things about, like John said, small business loans and things. And actually, there's some good incentives actually out there. Uh, but that is something to be a small business and take advantage of, like uh, government funding or anything like that, or special rates you can get on a small business loan. You clearly have to be a small business, and a small business means you are incorporated. So yes, I, that's a great point, John. Um, and you know, even just floating that that money across the month, even if you're not paying the interest on the credit cards. I mean, that's that's definitely a hack that you can do. Um, again, we would encourage you to always uh, pay off your credit cards at the end of the month if you can. At, and uh, if you're going to carry it because the interest rates will just eat you alive. Um, just debt and interest paid on credit cards or anything like that uh, can really hamper a business and is the death of a lot of businesses. So be super, super careful on that. Uh, but if it's and when you're investing, that it is something that you are going to be able to get more work, do more work. And like John said, the best part about that is when you've already got the book, the work on the books. So like you've already got signed contracts and now you're just not going to get paid the rest of it or a portion to cover machinery, but you can buy it up front and they get paid. like that's a that's a great usage of it. So those are great things um, and benefits of a small business. So I think the next thing, John, that um, or, or maybe we want to hit on also just inventory, because that's something I know uh, that is is kind of it is a weird thing, even on a Schedule C, because as I started filling that out, it was like, OK, what inventory do you have? And I was like, hmm. Um, when you start valuing inventory and doing a balance sheet and, and what does that look like for you as a small business who carries, you know, inventory? Well, see the, th so the thing for me is I technically do not carry inventory because of this specifically, it gets extremely cluttered when you start carrying inventory, because now you have to be tracking, um, everything that you have in supplies, as well as everything you have in finished goods. And then the value of those things is not equivalent to the value they would be in retail. It's now becoming <laughs> a depreciated value that is going down over time as you hold it. So this is right. why when I'm talking to anybody who wants to start a business, I try to steer them away from building things that aren't sold already. <laughs> so I try to steer them away from buying things, um, that you may never use, like for instance, through four dozen hairpin legs, like you may never use all of those, but you'll, uh, technically if you write that off as an expense on your books, that has to go into an inventory classification in which that value of what those are, um, you have to start knocking things off of it and it just gets like super cluttered. Um, so I would like, I technically think of this stuff in like terms of if I was a merchandise company in your inventory of what's sitting on the shelves, um, that's why you have like liquidation sales all the time. That's why you see like Marcus Lemonis on the profit will walk in and liquidate everything because it basically means has no value towards that business anymore. And holding inventory can become extremely, um, gray, I would say, and, and become a difficult aspect of the business. That's why there's inventory management segments of massive businesses is because yeah. it is honestly something that can suck all of the funds and life out of a, out of a small oh, business. Oh yeah. I mean it's, it's got a life of its own too. I mean that that if you start tracking inventory like that, that just it raises the stakes yep. so much higher. So yeah, being able to build the suit and um and I don't know what the I don't know what the IRS classification requirement would be if you did, you know, build a spec table um you know if you have to necessarily take that inventory 
or you just wait to expense it. Um, you know, like you said, yeah. so check into that. But I mean, I, I don't track my inventory, uh, cause I don't make stuff. So it's, it's easier for me, but even, um, you know, even if I do merch or something like I, I'm not tracking inventory on that, it's just coming in, coming out. Um, so if, if you want to go down that road, man, it, it's uh you better be prepared. That's a serious, serious burden for bookkeeping because it's, you know, FIFO, LIFO. We start mm. throwing in some acronyms, you know, oh, <laughs> about yeah. what, how you track it. And, and if you're valuing it every time you're reporting, it gets it gets really hairy. Um, but so let's go to the last stage. What's the last stage of, you know, now you bring on employees and John, you're living that life right now. So why don't you hit on that about what extra things you need to think about as you start bringing employees in to help you. So um, before employee hiring, you're probably going to be dealing in the subcontractor aspect of the business, right? And um, that's like, I think that's floating between um, a solo small business and a small business with, um, with employees in our, in our four segment breakdown here. So um, what's going to begin happening is that you're definitely going to be subbing work. And by subbing work, I mean, um, you're going to be hiring other people to do things for you or help, whether it's with delivery, whether it's with, you know, fabricating a pair of metal legs for a table base, perhaps, or um, doing, you know, drywall on a home renovation, whatever that might be. These become subcategorized contractors of your uh, expense categories for the jobs. So this becomes a, another aspect of your bookkeeping and what you need to keep track of because at the end of the year, you are liable to file what's called a 1099 for your subcontractors and then they pay the taxes on the amount of expense that you claim on your books. So <clears throat> moving into that next segment of your business, you're going to either be dealing with a lot of subcontractors or you're going to be hiring them full-time and hi- as employees. In this, right. you're going to be needing to take a, uh, it's a, I think it's on a state level as well as maybe national or federal, is, um, is paying uh, taxes for uh, having, you have to pay specific taxes for um, having employees. Um, and it depends on which state you're in, uh, but that becomes a burden that's put back on the business. So right. employees burdens on the business, subcontractor burdens on the contractor specifically. Now, John, how do you do, uh, because I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And as, as you do the 1099, when, when do you personally segment the difference between a subcontract subcontracted 1099 versus just a professional service? Right. Because you can go like if, if I went and uh, if you went and had something painted uh, or, or maybe a better example would be hairpin legs. So if somebody was making hairpin legs and you went and bought the hairpin legs for them uh, from them, there's there's different ways to look at that. Right. Yeah. So is it is it that um, the difference is when you're giving them specs and then they're working to that versus something that they just already make? Uh, you're, you know, because there, there's a, an interesting line there between the 1099 and just like, oh yeah, I'm, I paid for a service. Like when the guy comes and cuts my grass, well, actually I don't have a guy that cuts my grass, but I have a guy that sprays for weeds. Like I, you know, I don't 1099 him. Uh, I just pay him. Uh, yeah. Where, where do you draw the line on that? Uh, do you have more insights into that or have you like, when, when do you 1099 somebody versus, uh, just paying for and and lumping it in as a professional service expense. So um, for myself, a service expense towards a job, um, 
if that expense is something that I'm completely hands off with, then I'm not contracting that individual to do it. So if I'm powder coating the base of a table, for instance, I drive it there, I drop it off, he powder coats it, I pick it up. If I have someone that I'm- And that would be, and so that would be a professional ex service yes, expense. That, the, yeah, that Perfect. would just be Okay, expense. that's that's where I was thinking, okay. And, um, and for subcontracting work, if that individual and I are involved in the design process and I'm involved in the process of the build, um, then I typically subcontract them for their labor. Um, if there is an exchange of goods, it's typically not going to be a subcontracted uh, work. If mm. that person is showing up and you're paying them hourly on a rate or they're invoicing you for hourly labor, then that's that's kind of where um, they become that a subcontractor. And, yeah. and also the dollar amount matters. You know, if you over $600 on the year, and I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but you can you could, it happens is, um, then you have to classify that person as a 1099 subcontractor if they're somebody who's working for you all the time. Um, so like if you're writing a check to somebody for their work, then you're probably going to want to 1099 them, or they're probably going to become a subcontractor for you. Now that it's, it's still, I still categorize my subcontractors as a cost of goods in my expenses for projects. They just go into a separate bin in my accounting software that I, at the end of the year, I tally them all up and send them a, send them a 1099 for them to pay the taxes on. What happens is if you don't do that and you have a bunch of checks on your books uh, going out to a specific individual um, all the time, you know, that someone's got to pay taxes on this. It's either going to be you or right. it's going to be them. Um, and you want to make like, I, not to sound selfish, but like, I don't want to pay taxes on it if I don't have to. So I'm going to send that to the contractor. And if they're a legitimate and they actually, you're suggested that all subcontractors have their own business insurance, as well as they are set up with as a proper LLC or in the proper, you know, whatever, uh, categorize category categorization they need to be set up as, um, as a business. And in that the liability now becomes theirs for, uh, becoming audited and paying taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so like it, all this stuff gets super cloudy um, and it's a lot involved with it. It's a lot easier to learn once you're in it than it is to try to take it all in at once. Um, but the next stage would be going into hiring them individuals full time where you're now going to be paying um, taxes as a business in order to have employees. Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on what the tax is right now. Um, like the FICA tax. So it's like, yeah, there's two taxes. I think it's the, uh, it's the, the federal insurance and then the, um, not, not the Medicare, but the social yeah, security. You do, you pay, so you pay, Medicare, you pay social security, you pay all kinds of taxes. <laughs> like, I think that's what you pay. I think you pay Medicare and social security for an employee, because that's what I found out because what happens is that, um, when you're making money as a, as an employee at a business, um, that comes out of your paycheck. So you probably see that you get, and I, I think we're saying this right, but there's, there's two taxes I know. And I believe it is social security and, uh, Medicare. And what happens is that the, uh, your employer actually pays the other side of that. So they pay the exact same amount that you do. And what happens is when you become self-employed, because that was, that's another thing for the small business and that you'll want to talk to a tax accountant about is, um, you know, having employment, uh, having salary, what am I saying? Having having income coming in a salary, you have to pay. Uh, you will always pay your Social Security up to a certain level. There is a cutoff on that. And then your Medicare and then your employer is doing is paying the same exact amount for you. 
when you become self-employed, you you have to pay both of those. Like that other percentage doesn't go away. You pay that other side. So as a small business, what can happen is that instead of just passing it through, like you would do, uh, you know, in a Schedule C and say, and just claiming it all as income, is that there's this whole thing which you know we're not going to get into, but just to kind of tease the idea, is that you can claim some of that as a disbursement, which is taxed differently. So let's say you made a hundred thousand dollars. You could claim $50,000 as salary, which you would then pay all those taxes on, and then $50,000 as, um, as, as a capital disbursement from the business to you, which would be treated the same way as if you sold stock. So it is a, um, a dividend or it depends upon how you classify it. But anyway, it is taxed differently. So there, those are some of the advantages of a business as an S-Corp or um, an LLC. I think actually the S-Corp is the one where you can really get it where you can really do it in or taxed as an S corp is that as you start doing those things that you start getting away from the income taxes, which are going to be your social security tax uh, and your Medicare taxes. So there, there's a whole, like there are tons and tons of tax benefits of a business that you want to fully explore because, you know, if you just keep taking everything as income um, and, and honestly, I've not looked at all the tax reforms that have just gotten passed to know how that changes everything which is a whole nother ball game that is obviously why you want to understand where you're sitting now, because everything has changed with all the new tax reform. So for 2018 is very, very different than things were in 2017. So look into that, know how that affects you in whatever stage you're in. Um, especially starting at side hustle for hobbyists. I don't think much is going to change for you, but starting at side hustle and somebody who is filing schedule C's uh, all the way up to where we're just talking small business with employees um, this year is going to be very different than last year. Yep. And then you're also looking at workers' compensation. That's what I was trying to, that's what I couldn't come up with. You, you have to pay yes. into workers' comp if you have an employee. You do not if it's a 1099 subcontractors. But you can also become liable that if a contractor doesn't have, if they're on site with you and you're doing a delivery or something and they break their foot and they don't have insurance, like that's on you because you hired them. There's so much that goes into it. And all of this stuff can become uh, very overbearing, but like, Brad said, do a little research, hire a professional, get some consult, uh, consult with somebody that knows what they're talking about first before you make any decision. Um, so in the last, in the last phase there, like we said, with, with small business, with employees, you're now going to be taking that burden back onto yourself with the employee. And like Brad said, you basically split it in half. Um, if I'm paying someone, you know, 15 bucks an hour as a subcontractor and I pay, um, and then I bring them on as an employee, as at $15 an hour, that, that individual is actually making like six to 7% more than they were as a subcontractor, because I'm taking half the tax burden back on myself, um, as the employer, which you need to then factor into how much you're paying that individual and blah, 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 blah. So you can see that there's a difference clearly between a subcontractor and an employee. Um, you also have to be guaranteeing, you know, wages and time and blah, blah. So, I stay away right. from that right now. Uh, Buck's actually a subcontractor, and we're working on the long-term employment thing um, once we get some other things settled up here. But you know, then you're going to be factoring in um, timesheets into your accounting software, as in you're going to be recording for payroll. Uh, and then because of that, your time per job is going to now become a uh, – a line item in your costs. And then you can also get extremely specific with your projects specifically there. Um, but you have to make sure you have a system in order to track that. So, you know, as you can see, the bigger you get, 
the more that gets involved with it. And that's why businesses and people that usually say they started hiring and they got, you know, five employees and they don't aren't in the shop anymore. Um, you could see just from one aspect in the bookkeeping alone on how that can happen um, because it does become an, a job within itself. Um, hence why there's divisions at, you know, massive companies that handle this type of thing. So, you know, the, <laughs> exactly. the one, the one other thing I would say about an employee, um, if you're going to get into that, that phase of things is that, um, that individual is now somebody who can, um, make decisions based on the company, uh, themselves. So, you know, they can, uh, approve of certain aspects of things going on as well as make purchases for the business. And then you can have certain, um, you know, you can have business employee credit cards and you can start to just really grow and scale, um, uh, in a different sense. And as well as I think this would be the stage where if you're bringing on a partner and you're starting to take, you know, investments and all that stuff, um, you just want to make sure that your books are set up and ready to roll. That way things are already in a process that you can build on instead of just dump it all on yourself from the beginning and, and try to learn it. Um, I made that mistake when I started my, uh, my, my, business before this business. And, uh, and my books were just a uh, jumble and a mess come the end of the year. And it was, yeah. it was weak, a week of that's work that just sucked. <laughs> yeah. That's what you want to stay away from. So, so wrapping it up, you know, that that's going to be our, our takeaways here are going to be, look at where you're at, understand your needs and, and consult somebody who's got a good idea of it or do your own research. Uh, but the biggest, our, our biggest thing is, is, Take advantage of separating what you're doing and make sure you're tracking it properly. Okay, so the work you do up front is going to help you down the road. Like John said, uh, do the work up front, make sure you're situated and then just execute on it. Find a method, whatever that method is, and just stick with it. That's the key is just find what works for you and then do it. So we will have links in the in the show description, in the show notes uh, two QuickBooks online. And again, self-employed is a great way for probably most of our folks to start. Uh, and then there is the QuickBooks online, which is the the higher version of that. But having something like that that you can just easily do uh, and not have to worry about it and have it in your cell phone is a great way to do it. So, you know, if you're if you're a spreadsheet guy or gal, do the spreadsheets. If you're not, we would highly recommend the, the QuickBook self-employed uh, for anybody just getting started out. And you can always change over to the other one later if, if you wanted to, if you saw the need. So hopefully some of that helps you out and uh, good luck on your taxes this year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm, I basically like this episode, the reason we brought it up is because this is an important topic. Um, a lot of, it, it's extremely intimidating in some aspects, but I think if you get start uh, started early in a, in a simple way, like with a, a QuickBooks um for small business, you can make this process much simpler as you continue to grow and get bigger. Um, that tool was actually not available when I got started. So I was just boom, straight into QuickBooks online. That was their new product. Um, so, you know, I hope everyone got something out of this and that we weren't too much into the jargon of it. If you have any questions, um, leave them in the comments on the show notes or hit us up via email. Um, we'd love to at least at a minimum point you in the right direction if we can't answer it. Um, and definitely check out the blog post to go along with this episode for all the links to all the information that we've talked about today. Absolutely. All right. We're going to jump into the after show. And uh, I teased at the top of the show, we're actually going to be talking about some new things in Instagram that are coming out. We'll hit on the show later, uh, but we are going to go ahead and cover that with our with our patrons. So if you would like to join the 
patron tribe, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. All right, John, let's go talk Instagram, brother. Woo. So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes, and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit, where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode.